Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today, man? It's going well. Just uh, hanging in there for the most part. A lot of uh, crazy news are broke out yesterday about the NBA. Uh, obviously, we all saw the uh, big Zoom meeting and everything like that. That happened with between, I think it was like 80 players or something like that. So... That was uh that was the most eventful stuff as far as the NBA is concerned in recent news. Yeah, we're gonna get in we're gonna get into that to start and joining us to talk about that and we're also gonna get his thoughts on the Bulls new regime with Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley and some thoughts on Lowry Markinen and just just the Bulls overall, uh, returning co-host of the NBA pod with Brian Saporic, also an NBA analyst for Forbes, uh Morton Jensen. Mort, man, thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. It's been a while, so uh, glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last time we talked to you, we were talking about uh, it was the it was the show before the Bulls season started, I believe, when we were talking about yeah. just the all season moves they made, and we were talking about a Lowry Markin and breakout, and then everything just went to hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I jinxed everything. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. <laughs> we we were we were talking too positively of Larry, and I think it was all it was that it was that episode's fault. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just too much optimism, I guess. But yeah, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, like we were talking about before we started recording, let's start with the uh, the, the current talk right now of the NBA returning. Now the NBA is tentatively scheduled to return on July thirtieth, but there's been a lot of controversy about everything with that because. A lot of the players are, don't really feel comfortable because they feel like their voice has not been factored into these decisions to return to the uh, the bubble, I believe, in Disney World. So it's just or Disney World, Disneyland. I, I get both of them uh, confused sometimes, but this bubble is not making players feel comfortable. They feel like there's a lot going on with, I mean, obviously the racism, police brutality, everyone wants to contribute to social reform and they feel like that returning to play just isn't factoring all of these things in. And then the safety with the coronavirus, everything that's going on with the pandemic, a lot of these players are going to be not going to be with their family potentially for two or three months, and they just feel like it's not worth it overall. So there's, there's a lot to digest with all of this. Mort, what are, what are your thoughts on the NBA's plan to return to action and how they've incorporated the players' safety, their everything going on with the families the i mean just the entire landscape as we were talking about before we were started recording it is just it's just insane out here and there's so many things that you have to weigh what do you think about how everything has unfolded so far well i i think the concept is a nice idea of going to disney world and basically just use those facilities it's a good idea but the thing is you know everything just kind of popped up and we we're now seeing that the priorities have just changed, and rightfully so. Um, obviously, there's the security factor, and and there's the the, the whole you know, coronavirus thing hanging over everyone's heads. And I think the league took a lot of like precautions for that, and I think they, they having that dialogue with the players' union was always a good step. But it seems like they were arguing like at different paces of where they were at, like the league were almost like talking to the players union, like, okay, this is a lock. Whereas the players union was kind of like, well, we agree that we want the season to continue. And we agree that it should be in Disney world, if nothing else, but we have, we have still a long way to go. Guys are already like spreading out like start updates and like playoff dates and whatnot. Like we're not there yet. We still have to figure out every conceivable you know small factor there is that we that we haven't accounted for so to me it's 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 the basis of a good idea that it has been potentially rushed a little bit because it doesn't seem like both sides are on the same page at least not yet and then now with the police brutality and the racism popping up <laughs> popping up it's always been there but you know <laughs> what i mean yeah um it's it, it it's just kind of thrown a wrench into things and rightfully so the, the, right now like let's just be very very clear basketball right now is not important it is not important mm-hmm. whatsoever and the players are recognizing that and the league and disney world are like whoa that's th- that's not the response we were waiting for 
because we, we were expecting to make some money here in Orlando. We were expecting to get the league back on track. And, you know, Disney's not going to be happy if the players decide to pull out of this because they put a lot of work into this as well. So <laughs> we have two sides duking it out a little bit, which is is going to be interesting. But I kind of fear that this could be very, very ugly when everything is said and done. Yeah, that, that was what I was thinking about. Like, if let's say this season gets canceled and then the CBA gets thrown out, um, that if they have to renegotiate that owner if the if the owners then get strong arm the whole situation and then you get another jeopardized losing next season as well in a lockout situation that's that's something that i was you know when i was reading through all this um something i thought of and i saw some other people bring up you know the cba situation as well so that was a little bit concerning i don't know what are your thoughts on that and i know that obviously Kyrie is a, a polarizing player because he's had some wild ideas in the past that you know kind of get mocked and things like that i i feel like he's coming in the right mindset on this regardless of what you think about him in the past but i think all this situation involved it's it's amplifying you know the current like how everything is being uh the message is being uh you know sent so like I said, that the CBA, but it being like a, a a big part of it as well as kind of maybe affecting people's you know thought process as well. Yeah, I mean, this, let's start with the CBA. So here, here's the thing with that: Disney obviously owns ESPN. So if this thing doesn't come together, if this falls through, and Disney ends up being absolutely pissed at the NBA. Could we see a scenario wherein that they are offering a significantly less portion of money during the next TV rights debate or, or negotiations? Uh, you know, I can't say that. I'm not in the room. I don't know, but it it wouldn't be you know a far reach to say that. And if that happens, you know the the BER could go down significantly, costing the league and players millions of dollars. And with this, if the CPA gets torn up, now this is the problem that I foresee, right? The owners, like you said, Salim, would try to strong arm everyone. What they they would do something else. They would point their fingers at the players and they would say, "You cost us that money. You cost us, you know, ESPN because you didn't want to go to Orlando in late 2020. You cost us that." Whereas the players will go, you know, the other direction and say, "Hey, you wanted us to play while you know." basically a small race war was forming in the United States in a predominantly black league. So that could get very, very ugly, like the back and forth. So how do you overcome all that? Like the, th- the finger pointing that, which would be very, very emotional and figure out a new CPA. Like even when you have good relations between the league and the players union, a, a, a new CPA takes months and months and months, if not years of like concurrent, discussions, negotiations, points being made and whatnot. If everything is just torn up and you start over from scratch, I mean, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say this is going to happen, but we could actually see the league not returning for what, more than a year? Mm-hmm. It, it's This this could happen. I, we are in uncharted territory right now. And you know, I, I hope that it doesn't go all that far. I hope that the owners and the league understand. Well, this this situation right now is unprecedented. It, it is it, everything is just going wrong here in 2020, like the coronavirus and, and everything that like we have this plan, and then everything popped up after this plan was established. I hope that they realize this is just one year that kind of needs to be. <laughs> I don't want to say swept under the carpet because the good things are happening right now in terms of of uh, you know awareness. But my point is 2020 has been really, really weird a year for the NBA. And I think for them to just kind of turn the page next season and say, okay, let's let's start over fresh and and you know, what we're used to, that would have to be their priority. The question is if that's even realistic at this point. It, it feels like the players have to jump through so many hoops, though, just to get this tv revenue for the league though right because i mean let's just let's just recap with all of this so there hasn't been like the health and safety standards for orlando haven't been finalized yet covered cases are rising in florida 
Most players have not had any say or anything on a return. Like I, I was reading in the uh, Yahoo article and uh, Mo Bamba was saying that a lot of young players feel just intimidated to voice a contrary opinion to veteran players who want to return. And because of that, they just don't want to speak up. So they, they feel like their voice isn't value, but there's the same concerns are still like a- apply to them too. And then the yep. other thing that's kind of scary is that Disney workers, they're not going to be strictly tested and they can enter and exit the bubble because of course, I mean, they're, they're working there. So, but that's even scary and that adds to it. So it just seems like there's so many risks. And then on, on top of all of these social and racial issues, and it, it, it is just it's just scary right now that the that there's even pressure on these players to come through and deliver for them. Because let's face it, owners don't have to be in this bubble, right? It's just the players that are taking the risk. The owners can yeah. sit back and quarantine or do whatever and just watch these games. They don't have to be there. The players are taking on all of a risk and then and then strictly for for what then like the quality we're not going to get quality nba play a lot of these players haven't worked out in months maybe some of the veteran mm-hmm. players have because they probably have their own gym or whatever in their in their in their home and they probably have more access to the best trainers but we're going to see half ass basketball and not only that but we can see more injuries too donovan mitchell was pointing that out saying that he's a like one of his concerns is hey like for players that are in a contract year if you come back and you get hurt then you ruin your own stock so it's just it just feels like there are so many hurdles to jump just to get to this this prize at the end but even if you get there it just like at at what cost was was it really worth it no i can answer that already it's not i i was one of those people who basically said right from the get-go don't like let's not just cancel the season and then everything got traction with orlando and it seemed like there was a way to do it safely which was okay i could kind of see myself being open to that if it could be done safely Mm -hmm. but then of course you know everything happened you know in terms of the police brutality everyone went out to protest which is awesome but having so many people together protesting is also just going to lead to more cases of coronavirus it's inevitable so we're going to see another swing of that virus being you know around the league and or sorry not around the league around the nation and you already said you know in in Florida covid-19 uh cases are rising so so now it's even more unsafe than before whereas you know, they, they talk about this is a bubble, but if people can go in and out of that bubble, then it's not a bubble at all. Mm. That it's that the whole concept of a bubble is gone and it just raises so many issues. And because of all the uncertainties right now, and because there are so many players who actually want to protest more so than playing, which I completely understand, I, I just I think it's time to throw in the towel or at least consider it. I think the NBA needs to sit down with its owners and have that very unpleasant and uncomfortable situation discussion about should we just eat it? Should we just eat that you know financial hit that we're going to take and accept that the end of the 2019-2020 season has been here and it's done for and we just move into next season when that's ready. I think it's a conversation they need to have and not be so pickheaded about Orlando at this point, because like you said, Edward, how the hell are we going to sit here? Even fans, how are we going to sit here and enjoy basketball knowing full well what's going on in America at this point? Mm-hmm. I know it will be a back of my mind all the time. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, this is this is great. Basketball ba- is bad, guys, so I don't have to worry about anything. No, no. Right now, there are just so much more important matters at hand which i think is just going to overshadow basketball as a whole or sports as a whole yeah yeah it's definitely more money motivated too just because even next season let's say they come back next season at a regular or near regular game amount there already talks about the whole season without being without fan attendance and that's what like 40 and is it as like 40 percent of league revenue um and then the other thing that I've been looking to is you, you wonder how much of there is a mixed message too, as far as stuff that's being reported, because we've seen outlets report out that, you know, so-and-so player has, you know, possibly talked about sitting out and then 
you saw Donovan Mitchell yesterday tweet, uh, quote, quote tweet, uh, like, stop it, you know, because his name was mentioned as one of the players that was, you know, spoke about it possibly of sitting out. And I saw Kyle Kuzma. Now, granted, Kyle Kuzma is not as high level a player, but still he's kind of, uh, you know, a, a guy that's you know, popular on I mean, the social media uh, uh, bases. He was also talking about, like, you know, don't get it twisted. We, people, we do want to get out there and hoop. And so I'm, I'm also wondering if that's kind of uh, an issue, too, like how much how much of it is factual. Not necessarily, not to say factual, like not that a lot of these guys are making things up. I, I don't believe guys like Woj, uh, Chris Haynes, Taylor Rooks, all these people are making things up, obviously. But you got to wonder how much of it's, you know, getting – uh, the um, the message is kind of not being you know you know translated correctly, mm-hmm. if you will, too. So there's so much there's so much involved in it that you and it's so much time still. Like what is January July thirty first is when the league is supposed to supposedly restart. I know training camp is what like the first week of July. So yeah, it's it's just it's 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 crazy when you consider everything. Yeah, and I th- I think two there are two things that can be true at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. I think players want to protest, but I also think they you know would want to hoop. I think they would want it both ways. I just think you know, players are trying to prioritize what's most important. I, I I don't have any doubt in my mind that every NBA player is su- simply superbly competitive and actually love the game of basketball and want to play as much as they possibly can. So I don't think that's the problem. I think they're just kind of looking at the world right now going, yeah, you know, I want to hoop, but there's so much stuff going on. I know what Kyle Kuzma wrote. I saw the tweet as well, but I mean, I have to assume on every level that he is fully aware of what's going on as well. And I think one of the things is that when you look at what's going on right now. Like if you're a player and you have a family, it it would be like, I I don't have children, but if I was, if I had children and I was playing in the NBA right now, like it'd be hard for me to concentrate because like one, it's one of these realities right now that we have to face because all these protests, all of this like racism, police brutality, I think it hits the future of our country the most. Obviously, the present is what we're we're living, but the future is what's important because all of these children that are growing up in all of this stuff, one day they may be in position to create change. Some kid somewhere is going to be in a position to create change one day, and this could be the pivotal moment of that inspiration. So if I was a father and I could not be around my children to continue to educate them on what's going on, to continue to be there for them, to let them know how to react and to deal with all of these things. And I'm over here playing as a nine for 10 seed for the Sacramento Kings or whoever and trying to make the playoffs so I can get beat by the Lakers in the first round. Like stuff like that just wouldn't like it just doesn't hit home for me because it just feels like I'm a pawn in a, a game of chess to get all of this money for this multi-billion dollar company that's not, and it's just not, like, it's it's great for, for us for as, like, for the league's well-being, I guess, but it doesn't hit with players and it doesn't hit with human beings. Like, like, like you said, more. it just feels like with everything that's going on right now, sure, It'd be nice to turn on the TV and watch a basketball game. I mean, I I won't complain, but there are just bigger things at at risk here. There are just bigger things going on right now than sports. Like we're trying to we're trying to unify a country to realize the bigger picture against things that have been haunting us for years, decades, centuries. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely hear you. That's why I think this is, I think this was a good stand by the players. Look, you talked about Kyrie earlier. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a Kyrie Irving fan. I've been very, very critical of him 
as a player and as a leader in the locker room over the past couple of years. Like I routinely make fun of him on the podcast about, you know, <laughs> him being a weak leader. But this, this right here, this is actually him showing a, a side of himself as a leader in terms of like non-NBA related issues that is very, very mature and, and, and very, very accurate. Now, I will say this, and I think he touched on that as well. It is it is a little bit easier for the superstars and the players who are earning max money to say, oh, okay, we can sacrifice. There might be guys, you know, who end up the bench type of guys who actually need this income a lot. So those have to be taken into account. But I feel like the NBA players are, are pretty open towards it and saying, hey, you know what? If you if you need to participate in Orlando because you're not earning a whole lot, like go for it. Go get your money. It's okay because you need it more than we do. But it's just it's a part of the conversation that needs to happen. But yeah, Irving and and Dwight Howard as well, I think, have really done a good job over the past day here in, in basically just standing up and say, hey, hold up. We actually need to have a discussion here that is way more important about dollars and cents and coronavirus. We need to have a conversation about something that could affect the future of our country uh, for a long, long time. And as a as a black athlete, you know, I have a, a a podium, I have a platform, and and so do all of you guys. You know, I think that's that takes some that takes some balls. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is interesting too is I guess the the players that are involved in this call and the players that are not, and the most notable guys that are not involved are guys like LeBron, uh, Giannis, uh, and Kawhi Leonard. Because obviously their teams are the favors to favorites to win the title, if you will. So it, that's that's also an interesting. Obviously, with LeBron being the most vocal of all athletes in the NBA, as far as you know, with a lot of stuff that he does off court. You know, the big thing recently has he started that group of trying to make sure that the black community doesn't have their votes suppressed. Uh, come come November in the in the main election, he's he's been a person who starts that. Obviously, these other things that he does within his community he started the the school, uh, for for his uh in in Ohio, uh, where he where he can eventually help these kids get into a university uh, that you know kind of that he takes care of like, as far as the tuition and things like that, but. It's almost as if like there's there's certain scenario where they're trying to pit maybe LeBron versus the NBA again in a sense, and I don't again I get that feeling where maybe there it, that could be a could be a, something that's developing as well. Yeah, I I think it's interesting though that I mean we we rarely talk about the actual team like team implications here in terms of like success because like as you mentioned like for LeBron this is probably his best chance to win a a championship right now I would say I mean the Lakers have been great all year LeBron I mean he's obviously defied five or time for a few years now so I mean who knows how that will be going forward but right now with LeBron playing the way he is Anthony Davis playing the way he is this is probably the Lakers best chance to win an NBA championship, but you know, just to me, whoever wins the NBA championship and fine, you can't take a championship away from anyone. But at this point, I just feel like it's likely that there is just going to be a lot of issues <laughs> if the league does return. And I feel like it's inevitable that someone is going to get coronavirus. Someone is going to get injured. There is just going to be a lot of chaos here and it's really just going to be a a theme of last one standing. So I mean, I I just don't know how all of this is going to unfold. I mean, we could get a a Lakers team with LeBron on it versus some like team that just wasn't really that great to begin with that just scrapped and had just some good fortune come and they got to the finals. I mean, you just never know what could really happen with all of this. Like, what if Giannis gets coronavirus? God forbid. But what what if that happens? What if Kawhi yeah. gets injured? LeBron could get it too. Yeah, LeBron. LeBron yeah, LeBron could get it too. too. It's just there's <laughs> just so many different things here. Like, I like again, I don't know. I just don't really have any interest in seeing an NBA playoff run that 
just has so many different elements that can impact the quality yeah. of play and the ultimate result. Like it, it unfortunately, long term, I think we are going to view it as an asterisk. Like, yeah, you, hey, you won a championship, can't take that away from you, but it's going to be a little bit tainted. I see where you're coming from on that. Yeah. I, you know, I, here's what I'll say. I appreciate that the league tried to figure something out so it could return under safe circumstances. Yeah. But now that we've looked at it for the past month and we, everything is just kind of coming up short and if we're, we're kind of determining this, this risk is just far too great. I don't think there's any shame in basically saying, well, didn't work. Let's just shut it down and continue next year. But for some reason, well, not for some reason, for economical reason, obviously. The league is is hell-bent on returning, and I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen. I think the next week is going to be very illuminating for us to see what happens, because if the players take a stance and say, no, we actually want to be part of the protest, we want to be part of a long-term political solution, as opposed to coming back and playing for dollars and cents, and plus all the coronavirus concerns, you know, what are the league going to do? Are they going to, you know, field teams with replacement players? I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll watch it if they fill up with, with G League players. I'll watch it because yeah. I'm still, I'm also starving for sports. But like you said, Edward, it's going to be weird. It's not going to be as relevant. It's going to be just a very forgettable experience. Yeah, it, that that's that, that's the that that's the big part, right? It's how. How much are people going to? I mean, I guess people, like you said, people will watch. Like you said, people will watch anything. And especially with the current circumstances, people like fans need a distraction. So they'll watch whatever. People have been watching like some of the weirdest sports that are not even technically sports. People, just to, people know, watch have the a horse thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so people will watch it. But in the end, again, it's about the quality. And I know Edward mentioned like, possibly be being like an asterisk champion i think more than anything you know in other in the past we've talked about the asterisk championship when the lockout seasons happen but people kind of just use that as a as a, a, a like an insult more than it actually being an asterisk championship but this one you can maybe legitimately again make that argument that you know well this championship doesn't really count because again if if you have a situation where it's it's you know Let's say like a team like the Blazers and nothing against Damian Lillard. It's the Blazers versus what the uh, so and so Indiana Pacers also in the NBA Finals. Is anyone really going to take that seriously? Is anyone going to take that seriously? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't see it happening. I don't see anyone saying, "Yeah, those guys are legitimate championships." Uh, that if they win it, I mean, maybe thirty years from now. You know, no one will be able to say anything because if Dame has a ring, he's like, I have a ring, and it, it is what it is. But in the moment, I can't see anyone saying, yeah, man, this is these guys are the champions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch it. I mean, again, I'll, I'll watch it. I just – the standards are they're just the bar is really low at this point because it's just – I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't have any interest in seeing just beat up teams with injuries and coronavirus and players who are just not focused on this like it's just it just seems half assed. It's just a half assed way to get money and I I get why they need the money but it just feels like that it's not gonna, everyone's not always going to be into it. So uh like on that same note though one of the things that did happen during this pandemic is the Bulls got a new front office. So, as we already know, Arturis, Karnaschovas, and Mark Eversley have taken over the Chicago Bulls, John Paxson, Gar Foreman out. Well, John Paxson is still technically in, but not in power anymore. But we haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, Mort. So, how do you feel about how everything has just unfolded with the Bulls finally getting a new front office voice finally just changing up everything and now here we are like the bulls actually have a new era in front of them a lot of fans are excited for what's to come like what what are your thoughts about the uh, arturis connor shoulders hire man about damn time that something happened um i i think you know i, I wasn't an expert 
by any means on Arturo Descondes Silvers. I wasn't. I still am not. But I know a lot of Nugget speed riders who know him personally, and I've reached out to them and talked to them a lot. And it's been very, very positive, like the feedback that I've gotten about who he is as a as a guy and as a person and as a professional. You know, he's he's very, very. Um, you know, the word stoic has been brought on a lot. I've read that a lot, but apparently that's not entirely accurate. Like he's serious. Yes. But he does like have a personality. <laughs> I think he's been framed in a way that he's like personality less, but that's not the situation. He's just very professional and he wants like to have all his ducks in a row and he wants to make sure that he's, uh, he's very detail oriented. And I think that is exactly what the bulls needed. Right. Because when you'd look at, the past 10 years with all of the nepotism, all the scouting trips that started and ended at Iowa state or New Mexico. <laughs> like It was just a joke. It was just a complete and utter joke at the end. So now that you actually have someone in house who are willing to turn over every single rock that they stumble upon, I consider that a good thing. That is, that is definitely what is going to be needed for the bulls to return to well, relevance, honestly, because it doesn't start with just acquiring a good roster. It starts with you know, becoming respectful again. I actually wrote about the Knicks on Forbes recently, where I brought up this 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 issue that the Knicks have been a laughingstock for so long that their primary focus right now shouldn't be wins or success. It should just be getting back to respectability. It should be not to be a joke of an organization. The Bulls are in that same you know group. Not as bad as the Knicks necessarily, but they are in that area where players and coaches are more or less just saying, you know what, just no, I'm really going to entertain the thought of Chicago because everything is wrong there. Like that mantra has to end. And I think, you know, hiring AK and Eversley, that's a good start. It's a very good start. Now, I will say as much. And I'm fully expecting them to fire Jim Boyle and to bring in a new head coach. That to me, it's almost a non-issue. But it has to happen. If they, by some chance, end up giving Jim Boyle another shot, you know, for for next season, that is going to undo a lot of the good that's already been brought in right now. Yeah, yeah. Let me read something from Casey uh, Johnson's mailbag that he mentioned. So it, it, he says, Carnicevus has told Boyle and his staff to focus on coaching for now. This, to me, shines a light on Carnicevus's leadership style. At least for now, he's empowering Boylan to do his job. That means film study, draft prep, contact uh, with players, voluntary workouts at the Advocate Center, uh, and assigned projects to assistant coaches how to get personnel personnel better, typical offseason stuff. Until he's told otherwise, Boylan is the coach. This is a big boys league. Everybody understands what can happen when new manager comes in. Karnischewicz has, you know, empowered Boylan for now while also communicating that he has general ma- manager uh, Mark Eversley evaluate all departments. So I keep hearing reading the word empowered, and you know, and it's empowering Boylan. It's I'm not concerned necessarily because I, I I still fully expect Boylan to be fired. I I'll be completely shocked if uh if if, if they keep him. But to you, what, me reading that to you, what what are your thoughts on what you know everything that Casey said and and that portion of his mailbag? Yeah, I read that too the other day, and you know I, a couple thoughts hit me. One was you know I think this was kind of like a courtesy to Boylan in a way of just not completely crapping on him. I think Casey is one of those guys who he's not one of those guys who's, who's out to flamethrow anyone. Like he's a professional. He wants to be professional with the people he interview as well. And, and I think this is part of it. I think this is just giving him some courtesy. Ultimately, I have to assume like you just said, Salim, you know, that, that Boylan is going to be out regardless of all the you know praise that he gets on a website because it's it's indisputable at this point that he's one of the worst coaches in the league. I mean, look, Rick Carlisle had to t- take a time out on behalf of the Bulls to get Daniel Gafford out the game. I think it was Gafford, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was on the floor 
yeah. uh, writhing in pain, and and then came and he was limping up and down the court, and then and then Carlisle took a timeout to to uh, as a, as kind of like you know what I feel bad for this guy timeout right. I mean that that right there, you know, you don't even need to show me more than that, honestly. And, and there are plenty more examples, of course, but that is a man who has just not you know, Boylan, of course, who doesn't have it together who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And a guy who you know, installs like a punching clock, like what, what is this high school? Of, I, I would be like, you just completely surprised. I would be blown away. In fact, if the bulls decide to keep boiling around, it would be one of the worst decisions that new management could make whatsoever and not just like for fan service i've seen that point being thrown around like you know oh we refuse to do any fan service and whatnot like that's cool but hey don't fire him for fan service fire him because it's the right thing to do because he is objectively awful at his job that's i mean that's the end of it i I think you make a great point more that New front offices, especially in situations like the Bulls and the Knicks, there may be a few other teams around the league that this can apply to. But like like you said, they have to get fans back on their side. I think fans mm. like I think fans can tolerate a losing season again. Like it, the Bull, I don't expect the Bulls all of a sudden to be really good next year just because Karnishevis and Eversley are are here now. I understand that this roster is still going to take some time for everything to flesh out and really come to fruition one day. So as long as there's a clear-cut plan to become good again, I I can deal with all of that stuff. And I'm of the belief that as soon as Karnishevis decided he was going to interview for this job, he already knew Jim Boylan was going to be gone if he got it. I don't think, come on, everyone comes in with a plan. You already know what you're going to do. It's just a matter of getting the job or not. So to me, it's really just a formality at this point. And I think we've been uh, theorizing that a lot of it is, you know, yeah, they want to they want to do things respectfully. They also may be looking at head coaches who they may not be able to interview or get in the building right now, because if the NBA season starts, they're going to be coaching for a while, possibly even to up to September or October. So even if you fire Jim Boylan right now, you're not really going to have a new head coach officially, possibly for another, what, three or four months. So if they want to have the opportunity just to say, okay, we already know what we're going to do, but let's just see, you know, how he interacts with everyone in person, just, you know, just to make sure we said we covered all of our bases, then okay, I'm fine with that. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really worried because as you said, Jim Boylan is objectively awful at his job. So Arturus starts, he, he comes across as a pretty smart guy. I think he sees what we see. I think Eversley, Eversley sees what we see. So it's really just a matter of time. Yeah, I agree. And there's also you know one more factor to this, which I think is interesting. And I'm just going to bring up Rick Carlisle again by sheer coincidence. You know, he's, he's head of the, um, uh, the, the, the coaches association of, if I'm not mistaken, or at least had plays a prominent role in that uh, union. And yeah, he's, he's apparently he's the president. Been, he's the president. Okay. So he's apparently been advising coaches or just begs to lay them though. Don't go to Chicago. Don't, don't go to Chicago because it's, it's a bad job because the bulls have routinely just chased coast coaches out of town and sullied their reputation afterwards. I mean, we saw the, the, the Jerry Reinstorf statement after after Thib, Tibbs got fired, which was laughable and inexcusable. So I think this is actually a part of it. This is this is an attempt for management to say, oh, okay, you you know the prior regime completely effed this up. So the to the extent that we have coaches actually advising one another to avoid us as a possible destination, we have to do better. And that starts with actually getting, you know, some respectability back within the coaches organization or, or the coach, coaches union. And we ha- and then from there, you, it has to trickle down to players. You have to treat uh, treat players all right. You have to not nearly kill them with a spinal tap as well. Like make sure that mm. the players are taken care of. This this league over the past ten to fifteen years has become way more player-friendly than ever before. And the Bulls fell behind on that 
very, very early in that process. And they did so as well with the coaching part. They basically treat, or the prior regime, treated no one well outside of the management team. Like management was always the ones who were like, oh, it's not our fault. It's everyone else's. We didn't partake in anything or it's it's fine. <sighs> no, it, obviously it wasn't. And now there's a new regime who sees all the damage that was done and they are just taking the right and proper calculated steps to make sure that they don't fall into these traps again. Yeah, and I think the whole COVID situation is also being, playing a big factor into uh, how how he's approaching uh, replacing Jim Boyle. And I, I I would I would be surprised if this was a regular situation uh, as far as the as far as the off season is concerned. If if he would move as he, I think he would move quicker on replacing him as as opposed to what's going on, how he's handling it current, currently. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a factor as well. So, more let's let's say the Bulls do. I mean, we all agree that they're going to get rid of Jim Boylan at some point, and given right. the development issues that have happened over the last three seasons during this rebuild, do you think they're is a head coach like do you have a specific coach in mind who you think is the right fit for his job we've seen rumors of Ime Udoka Adrian Griffin a lot of people really want Kenny Atkinson as well who do you think is the best fit for his job so I actually have a question because I can't remember if I read this or if it was just a rumor but did did the new management make it a priority to hire a black head coach he said that that he wanted to hire. Um, well, he said he was going to hire a a, a black uh, GM, and then the rumor also was out there that they were going to look at hiring a minority head coach. Okay, it's just because we can. If that was the case, we could rule out Kenny Atkinson. That was just kind of my point to it. I think Udoka has been up for a while, right? It seems like this guy continues to always be mentioned as a head coach candidate. And apparently he's also one of the highest paid assistants in the league. I would feel very, very comfortable with him or Adrian Griffin, or if they decided that Kenny Atkinson was to play him too, those are three very, very strong candidates. I, you know, I don't think I have a preference in terms of those three. I would feel good with, you know, with any of them specifically because I think all of them are, would be instantly the best coach coach since tips, right? I mean, Hoiberg, I know that he didn't really get a fair shake, but he also never really stuck out as as a good coach either. Not that he was horrible. It was it was just seemed like a bad fit from the from the beginning. And he's so like a, a ho-hum coach. And then of course Boylan, who uh, I am pretty sure that my pinky could do a better job. <laughs> so one of those three I would assume would be a, a vast improvement, like from the get go. I think what's interesting is the Bulls ever, um, you know, since two thousand and three and nineteen eighty five. Those those have been the two times over the past thirty five years that they've hired a a coach with previous head coaching experience. So, I mean, they've always preferred hiring someone without previous head coaching experience. That speaks to Griffin and Yudoka specifically. But I don't know how this new management team looks at things. I have no idea. So this is going to be interesting to to see. I think for me personally, and and maybe the the rumors are true that they're going to be looking at minority head coaches. But I think it makes sense that they're the the two guys that were being mentioned with Adrian Griffin and M. Odoka. It, they have previous connections with, uh, uh, with uh. Sorry, um, uh, GM Mark Eversley, because Mark Eversley had spent time in Toronto, uh, and he has great relationships there. And then, obviously, coming from uh, Philadelphia, he also has great relationships with Madoka. So, I think that that thought process to me is because of that existing relationships with these guys. He knows them in and out, and that is why that those two guys, and especially with Madoka, will be uh, front runners mm-hmm. for me personally. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I mean that that could be. I mean, didn't uh, uh, didn't 
Adrian Griffin played Seton Hall with Karnashovas? Oh yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. That's correct. He did do that, and and the other factor with Griffin too, and I think the the Bulls uh, organization as a whole could get behind that, especially is because they also have a existing relationship with Adrian Griffin. Obviously, he played for the Bulls. Um, I believe I always keep saying he was he. I know he was obviously on the bench with Scott Skiles. Was he on the bench with Tibbs as well for like maybe a year? Am I misremembering that? I think he might have. I been. actually don't remember. He Could was, be. He was a Bulls assistant coach at some point. Yeah, he was with Skiles for sure, but I just can't remember if he was still with the organization when uh, Tibbs was. Uh, I, I think maybe it was Tibbs because when uh, when Griffin was playing, he was playing under Skiles. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Maybe, I know he played for Skiles. That's right. He played under Skiles and then... I think he was an assistant for a little bit under mm-hmm. under Tibbs, Tibbet-o. and then yeah. and then and then the crazy stuff started happening with uh, Tibbs and the front office, and slowly, slowly but slowly, like guys like Ron Adams, Griffin, all the good assistants started leaving and going to you know other organizations. Yeah, he's uh he's had stops. I think after uh, Griffin retired, he. His first assistant job was with uh, Skiles in Milwaukee, maybe, and then he went to Tibbs in Chicago. Um, I think yeah. it was Oklahoma City. I have it right here. Yeah, I have it right here. He actually started. He became an assistant coach with the Bulls in Tibbs' first year, and his last year was in 2014-2015, which I believe was the last year of Tibbs. Right? Didn't he get fired in twenty fifteen? Yeah, yes. that that off season he got fired. Yeah, so actually, Adrian Griffin was an assistant to Tibbs, you know, from start to finish. Oh yeah, okay, that's crazy. I don't. Why am I not like unsure of that? That's so weird. I, yeah. I remember because I remember he was with the Bulls for a long time. Yeah, probably because he yeah. was when he was with the Bulls, he didn't really play much, and he was more so. He was, I mean, he was basically a player coach in in a sense. Like he was just there for veteran leadership, and you know, he played spot minutes here and there, and. I think that might be probably why. And Skiles was he did he was on the bench for Skiles just at a different spot. So we ha- we just have this these images of Skiles and Griffin together at various points, and you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, are you saying that his two point three points per game didn't stand out? <laughs> hey, I, I was <laughs> like, I always liked Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin reminded me of like that like that really old school. Like a guy that you would think that would fit in best, like if he played in like the seventies. Yeah. That's his style, just the way he like played on the court. I remember another story. I don't remember. I know you were all real GMers, real, real GMers here, but I remember reading a story about this. Someone t- posting a while back, but I think it was during like the uh, Skiles uh, era and towards the end of Skiles era, and they were talking about how it. Uh, they were just playing at, at some random gym, and, and Griff was there, and then he played against them for a little bit, and I just, like, destroyed everyone. <laughs> yeah. It was it was funny. <laughs> it was just reading that. It's like, it makes sense. Like, this just shows you, like, these NBA players, and we always talk about, like, they could be the worst player in the league, but, you know, when, they, when you go against anyone that's not ever been in the NBA or can't even level up, They'll just smoke everyone. They'll light you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian Scalarini was lighting those people up when he did those one on one things. Like Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He and and he was and he was playing guys that played college ball too. He wasn't just playing like, you know, like a guy guys like you and me. Yeah. He was actually playing actually guys that were ballers as well in a sense. And he beat them all yeah. easily. Yep. Mike Mike Miller these days as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, he I was. Mean, he's uh, just busting up college kids left and right. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and I guess that shows. And not to say that you know the college kids won't eventually become good NBA players, but it, it kind of shows that that gap that exists, that learning gap that still exists, and that's why you see rookies when they come in. Even good rookies are tend to be not, you know, part of winning constructive winning as far as the nba is concerned you know they have to take time because there's so much uh, learning curve involved right it's got to be a great feeling to just just wake up one day and just be like you know what i feel like just busting some heads at the local gym just (laughs) just gonna show up there and just dust whoever uh just comes on the court so that brings me to this because we were talking about someone on the bulls busting heads this season and we were talking about lowry marketing just having a breakout season so 
I think that's a part of the whoever the next uh, head coach is. They're going to have a contract year, Lowry Markkinen, and potentially unless he's traded or whatever. But it, I think one of the big things is going to be how they can get more out of Lowry Markkinen because uh, I, I think during Eversley's uh, teleconference, one of the things he that kind of shocked him was that the Bulls only had one developmental coach and I think there was also a question about Lowry Markkinen's struggles, and he said that he was very interested to see or to see and learn why Lowry Markkinen struggled the way he did, even though he recognized that he had a lot of talent. So we we were all very optimistic about Lowry heading into the season. More, what went wrong, and is there a way to get Lowry back to that level that we thought he could potentially reach? Well, let's start with what went wrong. One of the things, obviously, was Boylan, but I don't want to be one of those guys who sit there and go, well, it's strictly Boylan's fault because that's not true. I think what happened was Boylan wanted him to play a little bit differently and be more of a spot-up shooter initially, whereas Markinen has to have that inside-outside game going for him to actually catch flow in terms of the, the offense. Like If you saw at the end of last season, you know, when he was taking the ball off the backboard and pushing it, he had this creative freedom. And, and because of that, he had a very, very solid year. I mean, 19 and nine for a second year guy. I don't care who you are. Those are good numbers. Those are very good numbers. Mm-hmm. So for him, you know, coming in and expecting that sort of role again, but having to you know, be put in the corner a little bit, I think one thing that was just the wrong play. But Markinen is not one of those people who fights against a head coach. And this is something I've heard for a while now. Like He is really one of those people who will shut up instead of speak up in, in, when, when something goes wrong. And he'll just say, okay, I, I need to figure out this thing on my own. And I think he becomes a little bit introverted when that happens. So for him... You know, he started losing confidence in his game because he was like, okay, I'm being put in a corner. I can't really do a whole lot. Maybe in the next game, I should just stick to my role, start to shoot threes. Maybe I should just try to become the best version of whatever role I'm in instead of actually breaking out of the offense, much like Zach Levine did. I mean, we saw that. The game before, that's you know, wild 13 threes, 49-point buzzer-beating game from Levine. You know, Boylan had had basically criticized Levine, and Levine was like, okay, you know what? Screw you. I'm just going to play my own game. Like, Levine went out there, and after after the, you know, after those comments from Boylan, Levine averaged almost 28 points for the rest of the year, mm. whereas Markinen, he just kind of regressed. He Instead of going the same route as Levine, he just kind of went inside himself and went, oh, okay, that's that's not going to happen. Maybe I'll just wait it out. Like he became passive. So this is a question of having a development co- developmental coach basically sticking to marketing and being in his ear and going, hey, you're a skilled seven-footer who can actually dribble the length of the court. Like You can do a bunch of different things. Do it. Like Levine himself, how many times over the course of games last year did we see Levine just kind of point to Markkinen like, you had the drive, you had it right there, go, come on, take it, take it. You know, the guys wanted him to be more aggressive, but he kept looking over his shoulder, he kept being insecure. So that's the next step for him coming back for his fourth season. Now, we've heard a lot about like Hardy Chauvin's and Eversley liking Markkinen. I have heard that privately as well. There seems to be a lot of faith and a lot of trust in Markkinen. Now, is that trust placed there as a way of building up his trade value? That I don't know. Like I honestly, that that could be it, but I don't think so. I think there's a lot to like with him. And at the same time, why would you trade him now when his trade value is at the lowest it's ever been? That mm-hmm. just doesn't make any lick of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I think this guy is going to return. I think he's going to be better. I think the Bulls are finally going to invest in proper player development, and I think he's going to be a better player for it. Now, is he going to be the twenty-six and twelve guy that he that he was like last February in twenty nineteen? No, no, he's not. But twenty ten, sure, why not? Twenty ten with good shooting and like overall efficiency, and, and a guy who can take the ball off the backboard and push it. I don't see why not. And that's a perfectly fine player in today's NBA. One of the biggest things that I've been noticing about Larry, and I feel like this is probably what's really going to hold him back, 
is his footwork. Um, his ability when, especially when he gets the ball in the post, and obviously there's some lower core strength issues, maybe that could be that are, that play into factor as well. But he just doesn't have very good footwork as far as being able to create for himself in, in that manner. And the other thing I've noticed a lot too, and we talk about his shooting. Uh, I I I wonder like a lot of times I see when I watch his watch his shots he his feet aren't set properly I always feel like his his feet are not set right and that's why a lot of these shots that he takes that while his release looks smooth he ends up either rushing it and it doesn't set his feet right or he just it just that's a big factor in a lot why he misses a lot of these shots so what are your thoughts in that regards I don't know how much you've noticed especially with the shooting of how his feet look and especially being the fact that like, if he can't get his footwork, right, that's always going to be something that holds him back. I, I agree with the footwork, you know, when it's near the basket, because he was never one of those guys who would just kind of create on his own. He's not Nikola Jokic near the basket is what I'm saying outside. I think it's a matter of the one, two versus the hop. I think sometimes he'll step into jump shots, whereas he should hop instead. But I, I, I don't think there is so much there with the footwork, though, because when he takes that many threes and he's that efficient at it, I know the last year wasn't necessarily great, but being a 36% shooter on high volume at that young age, at that size, that shows a lot. And when you look at his free throw percentage as well, you can see the mechanics are, are very, very proper. Like maybe you can tweak it, sure, but this is like the job of of the developmental staff, right? And if you, there's only one guy there, he he can only notice so many things. So maybe it's it's something that they work with. I haven't noticed it. To be perfectly honest with you, I haven't. It's not something that stood out in my mind, uh, except that of course when it was inside near the basket, yes, that was a concern. He didn't really have a counter move. He didn't really know how to like make a proper spin. Like his footwork down there was was just miserable. But but again, I don't think that was ever a position that he used to play. Even when you know he plays for Finland or when he played back at Arizona, like he was always a face-up guy who would almost start the offense from outside the three-point line. Yeah, he, he was never that guy who was like, okay, go down and, and we'll dump it into you and see what you got. Like he was never that dude. And for the Bulls, who still liked the post, at least under the previous regime, they really did. They liked getting to the basket all the time. I think that was just kind of out of his, his comfort zone a little bit. But if that's something that they keep prioritizing, then it's it's something they got to work with him for. Absolutely. And I guess the whole post-up thing, I think it's more so a face-up game for him, in my my personal opinion. It's the same way like you brought up Jokic. It's a face-up game. And it's if he, can, if he can develop that and use his footwork to be able to kind of create and kind of lose guys – that are defending him using you know the proper footwork that that's going to be huge if he can get kind of some kind of development in that area going. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just for me, I just want to see Lowry as you uh, just talked about more. I I want to see him just play with more confidence. Like I don't expect him to ever be the dog that Zach Levine is on the court, but I just want to see him play with more aggression and more confidence. Just be more sure of himself on the floor on both sides of the ball, and I think that. I think that could go a long way towards helping him get back to what he was. But if he's going to play timid and not really take the initiative on the on the court, I feel like we're just going to see a passive and inconsistent player. He's just going to be he's just going to be doomed to that. Yeah, if we can basically take whatever confidence Denzel Valentine has <laughs> on, which is totally unwarranted once in a while, yeah. and put it into marketing, I mean, then right there, there's an all star. Yeah, will be great to see. <laughs> Mort, man, thank you for joining us for this episode, man. Uh, can you tell our viewers where they can read read your work, where they can listen to the NBA pod with Brian Support? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me again. Uh, such an honor to come on. So you can listen to me talk about the the NBA world at the end. NBA podcast, as it's called, very creatively. And you can find that on every platform. It's done by my co-host and I, Brian Zaporek. And you can find me on Twitter at MSJNBA. Should be pretty straightforward. Uh, where I share all my my dumb thoughts. So if you're into that, definitely give me a follow. Uh, otherwise, you can read my, my more uh, <laughs> thought-out words at Forbes, where I'll, I'm posting about the NBA as a whole. 
All right, man. Yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, always, always a pleasure having Mort on. Uh, mm-hmm. I know hopefully this time we won't go like a year before we have him on again. <laughs> uh, but no, outside of uh, that, I just, you know, hopefully we can have a resolution and a, a resolution where everyone is happy is not just players feel like they need to play because of only mon- monetary reasons. And I think monetary reasons is the biggest factor right now. That's the only factor I would say that's really getting anyone and especially the league wanting to get the season started. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely hoping for the same. Well, that wraps up this show. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, wherever you can see your podcast. Check us out there. Follow us on Twitter at Bulls Gold and listen to us every Tuesday, 8 Central on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. And we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.